Jeff, thanks, buddy. Guy can sing, huh? And who thought he was just a drummer, right? I mean, that was awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. And as we jump back into our Ephesians series, I want to share a little story with you this morning. When I was uh, 14 years old, I made a discovery that uh, turned into uh, about a two-year-long obsession for me. My, uh, my grandparents, my mom's parents, uh, owned a hardware store and lumber yard up in northern Wisconsin. And uh, in back of my grandpa's lumber yard, he had all these uh, big storage bins, you know, holding the lumber and all these garages and pole barns that we keep our equipment in and things. And, and uh, you know, as a 14-year-old boy, I used to love spending my summers out there and exploring and climbing around back there. And, and uh, one day, I was digging through this garage that uh, I, I don't seem to ever have spent much time in before, and I came across this uh, something big covered by this, this tarp. And so I, I pulled the tarp away this one day, and there underneath this tarp was this incredible car. Now, this isn't the car, but this is the exact same car. This is, this is the same color. It was a 1969 AMC Javelin. You guys remember the Javelins? All right. Well, this car had been sitting in this garage I found out for about 10 years, for over a decade, just sitting there. It had had some maintenance problems. It was my, my uncle's car, and then it was my mom's car, and, and uh, it had had some maintenance issues, so they just kind of parked it in this garage, covered up, and it was sitting there. Well, as a 14-year-old boy, I mean, this, this car became my dream, right? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, hey, a couple of years, I'm going to have my driver's license. You know, there's no point in leaving this great car just sitting in this garage, you know, wasting away. And uh, so I started obsessing over this car. And uh, I mean, I, I studied this car. I read through the entire owner's manual. I would go to the library, you know, and find old issues of road and track and car and driver. And I was reading all the articles about the, the specs on the car, you know, the engine, V8 engine, uh, four-speed manual transmission. I mean, this car was incredible. Zero to 60 in like seven seconds. Uh, I mean, this was the quintessential muscle car, right? Well, when I was uh, 15, my grandpa, you know, recognized that I was starting to take some interest in this. So he would, you know, spend some time showing me around the car and telling me about it, telling me how it works. He'd sit me down inside the car and show me how to use the four-speed uh, manual transmission. And, and then the summer of my 16th year, I was playing around in the garage one day, looking at the car, hanging out, and all of a sudden my grandpa walks in and he's got a set of keys. And he says, Jason, don't you think it's about time you fired her up? And man, I mean, those are the greatest words a 16-year-old kid could hear, right? And uh, all of a sudden, you know, two years worth of obsessing over this car, finally I'm going to get to turn the engine and, and uh, hear, the, hear this thing revving. So uh, now keep in mind, I had never driven a, a manual transmission before at this point. So, uh, so when my grandpa told me to turn that key, I mean, the first thing I felt was the incredible power. I mean, this thing just revved. I mean, you could just feel the power of this car. But I had never driven a manual transmission before, so I pushed the clutch in put it into gear. When I hit the gas, friends, I tell you what, I burned so much rubber peeling out of that garage. I mean, you probably can see the smoke a mile away. But uh, it was an incredible, incredible experience getting a chance to drive that amazing car. Now, I share this story with you this morning because I, I think it relates to where we find ourselves in our Ephesians series here today. You know, in Ephesians chapters 1 through 2, where we've been in previous weeks, up to this point, we've seen the Apostle Paul explain to us who we are in Christ, 
all that we have in Christ, the incredible blessings that we have. And, and this is like Paul sort of explaining the engine of the car for us. You know, this is the guts. This is the specs. This is the stuff that you're made of. This is who you are and your, your incredible blessings, your reconciliation with God, your election, your adoption, your, your citizenship, your inheritance, uh, your reconciliation with others in the body of Christ. This is, this is who you are as followers of Jesus. And now as we move into chapters four through six in the coming weeks, Paul is basically going to take us to driver's ed. He's going to show us, now this is how you go out and drive the car. He's going to explain to us, this is how you live as Christians in the world. But before he gets to that point, we come to this incredible little section that we find ourselves in today. It's this transition passage, and the transition between understanding the engine of the car, who we are, our blessings in Christ, and then actually going out and driving it, the transition is this incredible little prayer where Paul basically encourages us to turn the key, fire it up, so that we can fully understand the incredible power of all that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul prays here, God, would you start their engines? Would you fire them up? Would you give them an experience of your reality? of the reality of your power and fullness. You see, what we're going to find here today is this prayer that Paul prays for the church. It, it's sort of like turning the key in the ignition. It's like revving the engine before peeling out burning rubber heading out of the garage. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at this prayer. I want to read this prayer together from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And then I want to come back and I want to highlight some observations about this prayer that Paul prays on behalf of the church. Okay, it was a prayer for the Ephesians, but friends, it's really a prayer for us too, for all of us who are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the prayer together. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And then I'll come back and share some thoughts on this with you this morning. <clears throat> Paul prays, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, friends, there are a number of incredible highlights in this prayer this morning. But what I want to focus on here together today is what I see as the pinnacle of Paul's prayer. It's found at the end of verse 19 where Paul prays that the Ephesians would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, friends, that's an incredible thought to think about that, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. But what does Paul mean by that? Friends, he's talking here about a supernatural understanding and experience 
of Christ's indwelling presence and his overwhelming love in our lives. He's praying here, Lord, make these truths real to them. More than just head knowledge, more than just words on a page, but fill them, Lord. Fill them with the truth of who they are and all they have in Jesus Christ. Fill them to the measure of all your fullness, God. Man, it's really an incredible prayer. And again, friends, why this particular prayer? Why right here in this book of Ephesians? Well, friends, again, it's because Paul is about to send them out on their mission. Remember what this, what this theme of this Ephesians series we're in. Remember the theme of this Ephesians series. If you look at the front of your worship guide, you'll find it right there. The theme of this whole series, from the throne room to the battlefield. Friends, Paul has just had them in the throne room. That's what chapters 1 and 2 is all about. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul's revealed to them who they are in Christ and the incredible blessings that they have in Jesus Christ. And now as Paul moves into chapters 4 through 6 of his book, he's going to send them out to live for Christ. He's going to send them out to the battlefield. But before that, he prays. He prays that they might experience the fullness of God. And why does he pray? Friends, he prays because a full of God person is powerful. A full of God person, they'll rock your world. I mean, I I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's full of God. You ever met a God-filled person? I tell you what, you'll know it if you have because they'll, they'll spill God stuff up all over you. I mean, they just can't help it. You'll bump into them and it's like, boom, they just spill God stuff all over you. I mean, full of God people are incredible. Jesus explains what the full of God person is all about in, uh, in the book of uh, John chapter 7. Jesus explains, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow within them. And by this, Jesus meant the spirit. So what Jesus is saying here is when we put our trust in him, when we put our faith in him, we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to flow within us as a stream, a mighty river of living water that flows within us. And friends, I tell you what, if you meet a full of God person who has the Holy Spirit working in their lives like this, I guarantee you, you bump into that person, they're going to splash all over you because... That's what the Spirit does, streams of living water flowing within us. And then Paul tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 5 that this stream of living water begins to produce fruit in our lives. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, that as this river flows, the Spirit flows within us, it begins to produce this fruit in us, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These qualities begin to grow in our lives. And again, friends, when you run into this kind of person, this full of God person that the Spirit is working in their lives, I guarantee you're going to have this fruit start spilling out all over you because that's just what happens when a person allows God's spirit to move within them. When God's people begin to overflow with the fruit of the spirit in their lives, it's powerful, friends. It, it's, it's world-changing stuff. And this is what Paul wants for the Ephesians. And friends, this is what we should want for our lives too. But how does it happen? How does it happen? How do we become this type of God-filled person? 
Well, friends, it happens through the supernatural power of God at work in our lives. That's the key. It's about the supernatural power of God at work in our lives. And friends, this is why Paul prays for the Ephesians here. Because you can't manufacture this on your own. You can't make it up. You can't fake it, right? The only way you can experience this God-filled life, this river of life, this fruit of the Spirit growing and overflowing in you is if the supernatural power of God is at work in you. And this is why Paul prays here for the church because he wants them to experience this. And so he's calling to God, Lord, fill them, give them this experience of your transformational power at work in their lives. Paul prays. And friends, we too should pray. We should pray the same kind of prayer for our own lives. That God's spirit might move within us. I want to look at Paul's prayer again this morning. What I want to do today is I want to highlight for you this morning what I think are really the two basic requests that Paul makes to God for the Ephesians. You know, out of this whole verse that we, this whole passage we just read, there are really two basic requests that Paul prays here on behalf of the Ephesians. And again, these are powerful prayers, powerful prayer requests that we too can incorporate in prayer for our own lives as well. Let's take a look at a couple of these. Number one, in praying for the God-filled life, number one, Paul prays that the Ephesians might experience the intimate presence of Christ. The intimate presence of Christ in their lives. Take a look at verses 16 through 17 again. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's desire here is that the Ephesians might experience a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he asked the Holy Spirit to strengthen them, strengthen them so that Christ might dwell in their hearts, in their inner being. That's the real you, that's your real self, your spirit, your inner being, that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Now, friends, remember, Paul is writing to Christians here. Okay, this book of Ephesians was written by Paul as he's sitting in a Roman prison to Christians. So why would Paul need to pray that Christ might dwell in their hearts? You know, doesn't a person already have Christ in their hearts when they become a Christian? Absolutely, friends. The moment we pray and put our trust in Jesus Christ, confessing our sins, receiving him as our Savior and Lord, that very moment, friends, we have Christ within us. But Paul prays that Christ might dwell in their hearts. What's this all about? Friends, the key to understanding this prayer is to understand what Paul means by the word dwell. The word dwell. The word dwell that Paul uses here, the Greek word that Paul uses is the word katoikeo. And the word dwell in Greek, what it means is it means to inhabit a place, to settle down, to make yourself at home. You see, what Paul's really praying for the, the believers here is that Christ might make himself at home in their hearts. That Christ might make himself at home in our hearts. That he might fully settle in take up residence and make our hearts his home. 
I don't know if you've ever gone to a person's house as a guest where, where you just didn't feel at home. You know what I'm saying? You go to another person's house. And I remember a couple years ago, my family, we were down at my in-laws. Uh, my wife's family lives uh, south of Milwaukee. And we were uh, visiting for Christmas, and they had their whole family there, and there just wasn't room for all of us to stay at my in-law's house. So, so our family, we ended up uh, staying at some family friends of my in-laws that lived a few miles away, and they were out of town for Christmas, and they invited us, well, why don't you guys come and stay at our house? And uh, so they were very gracious, and we went and we visited, and, and, uh, and we, we stayed at their house while we were doing our Christmas celebration with Kim's family. Well, you know, friends, it was, it was interesting because even though these people were close friends of ours, we were guests in their home. And we got there, you know, and they had left this note on their kitchen counter for us. And they said, you know, you can use the guest room uh, down here on the second floor. And, 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 then, and then they had this whole list of things, you know. They said, feel free to make yourselves at home, but, but if you would, don't, don't go in the master bedroom. And, uh, and, and if you would, stay out of the basement and, and stay out of the office downstairs. We, we'd prefer if you just, you know, stay away from those areas. But, but other than that, just make yourselves at home. Well, you know, friends, I mean, again, they were very gracious to let us stay there, but it's just hard to feel at home in another person's house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd come home at the end of the night from being at my in-law's house and, you know, I'd sit down in the living room and I'd, you know, I'd kind of kick my feet up on the couch and then I'd think, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I should be doing this here, right? You know, and and then I'd get hungry and I'd start looking through the cupboards in the kitchen and thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't take this uh, bag of chips out here, right? Friends, A lot of people treat Jesus just like this. You know, a lot of Christians, we invite Jesus into our lives, but we treat him more like a visiting guest than a family member. We invite Jesus in and we say, oh, Jesus, hey, come on in. Come on in. I'm so glad you're here. And by the way, Jesus, the guest room is over here and and, uh, that's your spot, Jesus. And and, hey, you're welcome. Come on in. That's your room. But, But Jesus, if you don't mind, just... Stay away, from, stay away from these areas over here, okay? You can have, you can have the, the run of this area, but, but don't go messing around over here, Jesus. I'd appreciate that. You know, in other words, a lot of people say, Jesus, you know, I'll let you into my life as it relates to these areas, but not these areas over here. Jesus, you can come in and, and you can impact my life when it comes to church. You can, you can speak into my life in regards to my marriage, my family, but, but Jesus, don't, don't mess with my work. Jesus, don't tell me what to do with my checkbook. Jesus, Jesus, don't, don't mess with my hobbies. Jesus, don't, don't go messing with my computer and the internet stuff and just, just stay away from all that, but Jesus, you can have this, this area all over here. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus didn't save us to keep us the way we are. He wants to come into our lives. He wants to remodel. He wants to rebuild. He wants to redecorate us. He wants to make our hearts his home. And that's what Paul's praying for, that Christ might dwell in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that he might come in and begin a work of transformation, rebuilding, remodeling, redecorating, settling down and making our hearts his home. And friends, this only happens through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we invite the Spirit into our lives and when we begin to submit our lives to him and his will that this work begins to take place. 
And the spirit grows and begins to transform us. And the ultimate goal of this, it's what Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, that's the goal. That's what it's all about. That's what this, this spirit's power does in us. Christ comes into our lives. He begins to dwell in our hearts. He begins to transform us and make our hearts his home. And pretty soon it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And friends, that's the first mark of a God-filled person. It's this person who has experienced the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in them, whereby Christ comes in and makes our hearts his home. And so this, friends, is why Paul prays here. He prays, number one, for the Spirit to transform the believer's inner being so that we might fully know the intimate presence of Christ. Is that your prayer? Holy Spirit, would you come and transform my heart? Would you come and remodel and redecorate? Holy Spirit, you you have access to it all. I'm not going to hide anything anymore. Come on in and go room to room, clean out all the garbage, and do your transforming work in my heart. That's what this prayer is about. Highlight number two from Paul's prayer this morning. Secondly here, Paul prays that the Ephesians might experience the overwhelming love of Christ. The overwhelming love of Christ. Take a look at verses 17 through 19. This is just an incredible section of Paul's prayer, verses 17 through 19. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Wow. Friends, there's some incredible imagery here in these verses. What I want to focus on, though, this morning is this curious phrase that Paul uses here. He prays, that believers might know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you might know this love that surpasses knowledge. Friends, how do you know something that's beyond knowing? Well, what you need to understand here, friends, is Paul's talking about the difference between head knowledge and an experience. I remember as a kid growing up, my dad uh, grew up in Southern California and, and uh, moved here to the Midwest. And as a kid growing up, my dad would tell me stories about this magical place that he used to go hiking and camping, a place that he ended up working at for two summers when he was in college, a, an incredible place called Yosemite National Park. And I remember as a kid hearing my dad's stories about hiking through the mountains of Yosemite National Park and, and the incredible waterfalls, these incredible mountain peaks and cliffs that that he would climb and hike as a kid. And I'd look at these pictures my dad would show me and I would would just think, man, this place is incredible. Friends, when I was a student in college, I was blessed with the opportunity for two summers to work at a Christian camp in Yosemite National Park. And I'll tell you something, man. The first time I went and stood in the middle of the valley of Yosemite National Park, 
all of a sudden, all those stories my dad had told me, all the pictures I had seen over the years, they just paled in comparison to standing in the midst of God's incredible grandeur and beauty, the awesomeness of this place. I mean, El Capitan on the left, the largest freestanding piece of granite in the world. Bridalville Falls, the back in the back in the center you have Half Dome. I mean, incredible monuments to God's creative power and work in nature. It's, it's incredible. And I can't explain it to you unless you've been there yourselves. You, you just can't even fathom what an incredible place this is. See, friends, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the difference between knowing something intellectually, seeing pictures, reading words on a page, and having a transformational experience of something. Paul, Paul's praying here that they wouldn't just know Christ's love intellectually, but that they'd have a profound, awestruck, overwhelming experience of it. That's why, that's why Paul uses this poetic language here in this passage. That he prays that you might know the, the height and depth and width and length of God's love. He uses this incredible poetic language because even Paul realizes words don't do it justice. I mean, I can do my best to explain this love to you, but, but, but these words just fall short of the real thing. And so God, please give my friends an experience of your love, Lord. Let them know it at the very core of their being, God, because that's the only thing that's going to transform them is for them to know, to know and experience your powerful love. Friends, what's the love of Christ like? Words are just so inadequate. I mean, I, I, I don't even know where to begin explaining this. What's the love of Christ like? Friends, I know, I know a few things about Christ's love. Number one, it's a far-reaching love. It's a far-reaching love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God's love reaches out to everyone in the entire world. It's not only a far-reaching love, friends, but I can tell you this, it's an unconditional love. John 3, 16, that whoever, whoever believes in him, Friends, you got to know this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've experienced in the past, what you've struggled with, the trials that you've gone through in your life. God could care less about that stuff because God loves you unconditionally. A couple of weeks ago, my, my kids were screwing around and they got in trouble and I sent them to their rooms and my daughter, Addie, she just has a really tender heart, you know, and, and uh, that night when I was tucking her into bed, we were talking and she looked up at me with tears coming down her eyes. She said, Daddy, do you still love me? I said, Addie, there is, there's nothing you could ever do to make me stop loving you. There's nothing you could ever do, Addie, for me to, to love you less than I love you right now. There's nothing you could do to make me love you anymore. Addie, I, I love you absolutely. Friends, that's the kind of love God has for us. It's an unconditional love. It's not only a far-reaching love and an unconditional love, but it's a self-sacrificing love. John 3:16, he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this 
than to lay down one's life for his friends. You need to understand this, friends. God's love isn't cheap. It's a love that cost him his very life. But he gave it. He gave it willingly because he loves you so much. I heard a story a while back about uh, a young couple that was in a tragic car accident. The, the girl in the accident, uh, they had been engaged to be married. The girl in the accident, she was a cheerleader at Eastern Kentucky University. And uh, she died in this accident and her fiance, her fiance survived, walked away unscathed. And this young lady, she, beautiful girl, loved the Lord, her whole future ahead of her, engaged to this great Christian guy. At her funeral the week after the accident, this young man spoke at his fiance's funeral and he said something that brought tears to everybody there in the congregation that morning. He said, looking down at her casket, he said, Stacy, if God would have allowed me, I would have taken your place that day without a single question asked. Friends, do you realize the love that God has for you? He didn't ask how much you've sinned. He didn't ask if you'd be faithful to him till the end. No. In Romans 5.8, God proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us without a single question asked. Friends, this is Paul's prayer for the God-filled life. Very simple, but incredibly profound and powerful. That you might know the intimate presence of Christ, that you might know the overwhelming love of Christ, and in that, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the application here this morning? How do we take this passage, this prayer, and apply it to our own lives today? I just want to suggest two words for you this morning. Number one, trust. Do you know this God to whom Paul prays? Friends, have you put your trust in our creator God and in his son Jesus Christ? Because if you don't know this God, all the stuff I'm talking about this morning, you're never going to know it. You're never going to experience it because it comes first by putting our trust in this God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to forgive us of our sins, to bring us back into our relationship with him. I pray this morning that if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you might do that right here, right now. And I promise you, when you submit your heart to the Lord, when you confess your sins, when you ask him to come and be your Lord and Savior, friends, I guarantee you, you will experience that river of living water that flows within you. You will receive the Spirit who will come into your lives and begin a transformative work in you. That's God's promise to us. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? The second application this morning. Friends, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer that Paul gives us here in Ephesians chapter 3. Pray this prayer, number one, for you. Lord, turn me on, fire me up, God. 
Give me an experience of your presence, your fullness, your power, your love. God, help me to experience the God-filled life that Paul prays here for the Ephesians. Pray that prayer for you, friends. Pray that prayer for your family. Pray that prayer for your friends, for your church. Pray it for me. Pray for Pastor Rick, all of our pastors and staff here. Please pray that prayer for us. God, fill them with all the fullness of you, Lord. Give them an experience of your intimate presence. Give them an experience of your overwhelming love. Friends, can you imagine if we all committed to praying this prayer for one another, for our family, our friends? I guarantee you we'd have an experience of people coming to us on a regular basis saying, I I don't know what's going on. I can't explain this, but but God is doing something in my life right now. I'm I'm feeling God's presence in an incredible way that I've never felt before. I'm experiencing the love of God like never before. Friends, if we began to pray this prayer, God would begin to move and he'd begin to do an incredible work and, and it would blow us away. How do I know it would blow us away? It's because what Paul says in verse 20, God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So let's commit to praying this prayer that God might do this incredible work in our lives, that he might fill us in the same way that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. As I close this morning, I want to I do this. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for you this morning that we as a church might experience this God-filled life that Paul prays for the Ephesians here. Would you let me do that for you this morning? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and Have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the powerful model of prayer that we see here in this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Lord, it's it's so incredible when we think about the request Paul makes, Lord, for these friends of his to experience a God-filled life, that they might know the intimate presence of you and your spirit within them that you might come and dwell in their hearts, making, your, making their hearts your home, that they might experience the overwhelming love that you have for us, a love that's just indescribable. And Lord, I pray the same prayer for my friends here this morning. God, would you fill them this morning? Would you fill them with your transforming power? God, turn them on, fire them up. Let them experience the power and fullness of the God-filled life. Give them, Lord. Give them an intimate experience of your presence. Give them an awestruck, overwhelming experience of your love. And let it transform them, Lord. Let them be people who walk out of here as God-filled, fully alive people just spilling God's stuff all over because of what you're doing in their lives. Lord, let this be our prayer for one another this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.